Welcome to the Joywell Conversations, the podcast of The Joywell, created to inspire, amplify, and support Black and Brown women everywhere in living their joy out loud. In the season one finale of The Joywell Conversations, we're in conversation with Dr. Rhonda Maddox about something that all of us women can do a lot more of, and that's rest. In this time of a global pandemic, in this time of collective and individual traumas that we are experiencing, whether related to the pandemic or related to something else, I thought it would be both insightful, helpful, and really eye-opening and heart-opening to bring my sister friend, Dr. Rhonda Maddox, to the Joywell Conversations to kind of help us walk through this in, in the context of joy and how to be able to wade through this storm and still have a a sense of stillness. So it's a pleasure to introduce Dr. Rhonda Maddox, who is a psychiatrist, a woman of faith, an all-around badass entrepreneur, and my dear sister friend, who I happened to meet through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholars Program when she was at UCLA and I was at Yale. And we had an extraordinary night in the company of other physician leaders Um, that was life-changing and began or planted the seed for one of those kind of forever friendships where you meet people as they are, there's no need for filter, and and you speak truth. So Dr. Maddox, aka Rhonda, welcome to the Joy World Conversations. I'm so glad to have you here. It is my pleasure. How's it going where you are? It is going as well as you might expect in the midst Mm -hmm. of a pandemic, in the midst of multiple pandemics, if you include the deaths of African-American men at the hands yes. of police officers. Yes. Every day, um, I will either tweet or post on Instagram how many days it has been since at least Breonna Taylor yes. was murdered by police. You know, and and it's now 156 days if you include the actual night that she was murdered. Yeah. And and then George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and so many others, even ones that we're not hearing about and the injustices that are happening to us in the midst of a global pandemic. People can't (laughs) even even be free in their own neighborhoods. It's like in their own homes for that matter. It's. It's, it's traumatic. It has been traumatic. And, and I've tried to say this before on my platform that for people to understand that if you're not able to function at the level that you're used to, not to take it out on yourself because you are going through trauma. Am I correct in saying that or thinking that? What we are living through right now is collective trauma. Mm-hmm. I think the entire mm-hmm the entire nation is living through collective trauma. We're experiencing it together. We're experiencing it in different ways. And so, yes, show grace to yourself. Be Mm -hmm. kind to yourself. Understand that it is okay to not be okay right now. And we're hearing a lot about connecting, but I'm also encouraging people to mind how you feel, mind your Mm -hmm. presence and understand when it's time to disconnect when it's time to cut off from social media, unplug your phone, uh, take a mental health day if that's available. We, we may not be able to go on vacations this year, but it is very relevant for you to have a staycation 
so that you can unplug, refresh, rejuvenate, and get the rest that you need. That last part, the rest that you need. Do you know how many of us, and I'm speaking of us black and brown skinned women, who haven't yet figured out the rest that we need? Like, oh, we need rest. Oh, we need to stop. Like, how, what would you tell somebody who's like, I, I don't even rest? What is that? What, what is rest? So let me start with what it's not. Many times we think it is just getting sleep. And that's not what rest is. We think it's just being off from work. But you know as well as I do, you can be sitting in your place of worship. You can be sitting in your home and you, your body may be still but your mind is is just churning 90 to nothing, thinking about what you need to do next, your child's school project or whatever. And so I thought it interesting in Hebrews when it talks about labor to enter into his rest. And this is a biblical reference. And so that sounds counterintuitive. But in this age and this generation that we're in, we truly have to labor to enter into rest of our minds. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that is you are not thinking about what you need to be doing next. That is when you are sitting quietly with yourself and just trying to quiet your mind. And it's interesting because in the last month or so, I've been doing trying to do that each morning. And I, I referenced it on anyone who knows me knows that I always have something 12 different things that I'm planning, yeah. three different books on my nightstand. Yeah. And so I'm not resting. I am always in motion. Yes. And I I never, you hear this, this scripture, be still and see the salvation of God yes. or stand still. And I'd never much thought about that, but I had heard someone talk and I thought, let me try that. And so I remember sitting in my music room and just looking outside and trying to bring my mind in. And I started to notice these birds outside. We've been living in this house for 15 years. I never noticed these birds. And there was this one black bird perched at the very height of the tree. And I became intrigued with that bird because it wasn't what you see. Birds are normally in a group. This was a bird that was just perched on that tree, peaceful, unbothered. And I thought, man, I want to be like that bird. Just you can be alone with yourself, peaceful, unbothered. And the bird sat there for 20 or 30 minutes, maybe even longer, not in motion, just there on top of the world. And I'm going to tell you that bird almost became like my role model. I want to wow. sit on top of this world and just be perched and peaceful and calm. You understand? Yeah. And on yesterday, the thing about it was yesterday when I went to my to the music room, the bird wasn't there. And I thought, oh my, what happened? You know, but that bird has been my role model. I've never said this out loud, so it sounds a little strange to, to hear it, but I hope you can identify with what I'm saying. I completely identify with what you're saying. I, I feel like birds have been teaching me so much. And, and in your story, it's just the, the, the ability to sit with yourself. Yeah. The ability to sit with yourself is such, it's, it's a skill, it's a tool, a technique that we should, we should all be cultivating. But there was something that you said um, a second ago about laboring into rest, right? Into this yes. rest. Yes. And, and in the scripture, it says labor into his rest. The, yes. That, that resting is active. It's not passive. It's a choice. Right. And every time you make a choice, 
to enter into rest, you're, you're making a choice for yourself. You're not saying life is happening at me or to me, but for me. You're saying I am here for myself. Like I'm not abandoning myself. I'm allowing myself by choosing rest. Would you agree or, or, or disagree? I would. And let me just tell you, it is it is uncomfortable to do because if any mm. of you were raised in homes like mine, if my mother saw me doing nothing, Girl. she would immediately give me something to do. Yes. For her, me seated doing nothing was a, was blasphemy. It was mm. anathema. And so I learned unwittingly that it was not okay to just be still. She taught me that, not realizing she was teaching me that. Right. And right. And so I, I learned that it was a bad thing and I had to relearn that it was okay for me to sit still. So mothers, give your children permission to sit still and to be quiet. And the reason I say that is because now it is in my quiet time yes. that my creator drops things into my spirit, mm -hmm. creative strategies that I would not have gathered if I had been in motion. Right. So it's so important. And particularly as entrepreneurs, as as just people of the human race, mm -hmm. for you to be able to sit still. And that is when you recognize what your passions are, what your hurts are, where your wounds are, when you're sitting still, not ignoring those flashing red lights. You are speaking wisdom. I mean, from from the point of mothers unwittingly teaching their kids that what's the phrase that that we hear often, like an idle mind is the devil's play, playground. Right. right. Oh, that's great. That's mm -hmm. like that's pretty that's pretty harsh, right? The devil's playground. Oh my God! Now the devil's in my brain. You know, like that. You don't know what that's doing doing to a kid. That sentiment doesn't allow us to really be still. You know, and 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 meditation is trying to help us. I know, you know, David in the Psalms talks about prayer and meditation. And I was like, oh, so he was meditating. He was sitting yeah. in stillness. So all of yeah. us can sit in stillness for a moment and get those gems of creativity, get the, the wisdom and the insight that we need so we can move forward. I know in my own life experience, life journey, that it has been in those moments of stillness that the answer came. I'll give you an example. When I was in residency, this was, this was a period, it, I think it might've been second year, early on in second year. And you're supposed to decide what fellowship you're going into around the end of your first year, second year, because once you apply, by the time you end residency, you're ready to go into fellowship, right? So right. everybody was like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was gung-ho going to be a neonatologist. I knew it. I knew it because it would allow me to travel the world, teach physicians and non-physicians alike how to decrease infant mortality, how to decrease maternal mortality in childbirth, how to, how to make sure that babies who are born early are set up for a better life, right? That, I was just going to do that. I could, I could, I could be that anywhere. And on September 25th, don't ask me the year, but I remember the day, I had all of my applications, and this is when we're still writing applications <laughs> for fellowship, right, right. You know, like with a pen and paper. Um, I, I had all of my applications, six. I had already asked for all of my letters of recommendation from the chair of my department, from the chair of neonatology. Like it was, this was where I was going. And I remembered going to my drawer 
in my bedroom, pulling out the six envelopes of the programs that I was um, sending these applications off to, and my entire body shaking. Like when I say shaking, it was like, was there an earthquake happening? And I looked at this and all I remember feeling was be still. Like that sentiment, I'm not going to say I heard it because I don't remember hearing it, but I remember the, the, the sentiment, you need to be still right now. That's mm-hmm. where I was. And the question came to me, is this what you want to do? And before I had to, time to think about the answer, I said, no. I dropped the, the envelopes there on the floor. I got up, went to go and get a drink of water and felt so much better. Yeah. And, but here's the thing. In a world that's telling you, you need to know what you're doing right now. Otherwise, you won't have anything to go to later. Was the complete, I was doing the complete antithesis. I wasn't doing the thing that I was supposed to do. I was being still. And being yeah. still is not, is not um, how do I say, uh, promoted. It's not, you know, it's not encouraged. We, we don't enable stillness, right, in our society. So uh-huh. you can imagine for the next couple of months, folks are like, Chisara, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, yeah. I don't know. But then one, one night, one night, um, while I was on call in the PICU, the pediatric intensive care unit, which I loved, right? So I'm an ICU person, clearly, because I love the PICU and the NICU. And everybody's like, why? I'm like, because. But one of my preceptors who was on call with me that night had said, he had said to me, so what are you thinking of doing? And I was like, you know, I don't know. And he said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, I like research. I like policy. I like meeting people. I like making decisions that, you know, impact populations, all of that stuff. And he was like, oh, well, my wife did this fellowship called the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholars Program. Maybe you might want to think of that. And I was like, oh, cool. So we spent the next 10 minutes looking for this fellowship online, Rhonda, and we couldn't find it. No, we could not find it. So I was like, Okay, well, you know, I guess it's not gonna. I guess it's not gonna happen. That's a great idea. I'm just gonna go and live my life, whatever. But then, and that was in, I think that was November. Yeah, that was November when I was in the ICU. January, end of January, a friend of mine who was doing a plastic surgery residence in in Pittsburgh as well sent me an email. She said, "Oh, I think you might be interested in this program." What was the program? The Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Yay, and that's how I met you. <laughs> and that's how you met me. Like, so in the stillness, right? Like, this, the, the answer that came was no, but there was nothing going forward. You just had to go by faith, right? But then, yeah. like, the universe is saying, okay, here you go. Here you go. And just dropping gems. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, now I know where I'm supposed to be. Thank you, God. Right? Like, so... Anyway, the point being stillness. There's something powerful in stillness. You might actually hear what you really want to do. You might actually hear the next step for your life if you just be still. Because it's not about anybody else. Right. And here's the thing. Rest was so important Mm -hmm. that it's chronicled in at least three religious traditions um, Mm -hmm. in Exodus that there was ordered a Sabbath rest Mm. where you were not to do any work or anything. And why is rest so important that the creator of the universe Mm. would say, 
you must rest mm. at least once a week from all of your toil, from all of your work. You must rest. That's an important thing to ponder in this crazy community mm -hmm. that we are living in that so overemphasizes work and toil and productivity. Yeah. And yet the creator of the universe calls us to rest. To rest once a week, at least 52 times a year. Yes, absolutely. Butt down absolutely. and be still. It's, it's amazing. It's, yeah. So I, I want to get clinical for a second because we're talking about rest, the, the opposite of rest being chaos and that trauma can create chaos. Is it possible in this moment in time to feel both up and down and not be clinically depressed? Is it possible yes. to be going through these sort of roller coaster emotions? Yes, mm. absolutely. And let me tell you what, when we say clinically depressed, mm -hmm. most psychiatrists hear the, the thought of major depressive episode, Okay, major depressive episode. So when we say clinically depressed, we don't mean that you are sad because your boyfriend broke up with you and you're sad for, you know, a day or two and, and you're tearful, um, but you bounce back again. Mm -hmm. Or we don't mean that, you know, or any of that stuff. When we talk about being clinically depressed, um, we're talking about for a period of time, at least up to two weeks, where most of the time you had a shift in your sleep whether it be that you were normally sleeping eight hours a night and now you're sleeping four or that you were normally sleeping eight hours a night and now you're sleeping 15 or 16. So we're talking a, a shift in your sleep. We're talking a shift in your, your interest. Those things that used to bring you joy mm -hmm. no longer bring you joy. Yeah. It's a task for you to do them. We're talking about um, a shift in kind of how you are thinking. There is a, a lot more guilt and negative self-talk um, feeling, you know, worthless or, mm. or those kinds of things. We're talking about a change in your energy to where you you normally have decent energy, and now your energy is just you know tired, yeah. that kind of stuff. We're talking about your concentration. You know, normally you can pay attention to things, but but now you just distract really easily. Your appetite has shifted. Maybe you normally ate three days, uh, three um, meals a day, and now you you can't remember to eat. You don't know if you you ate. You're eating one time a day, or or if you're like you know me sometimes. Whenever if if I feel those times, then my appetite increases, and I'm eating everything you know in in sight. Um, we're talking about yeah. how you're in motion. Are you now dragging, going really really slow, and then. Um, Certainly, we're talking about if you are having thoughts about hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't actually think, you know, oh, I just want to die. So when I frame the question, I'll say, you know, have you thought about giving up? Have you thought about throwing in the towel? Have you thought if I didn't wake up, I would be okay with that? Mm. You know, because um, sometimes we don't necessarily think about actively hurting ourselves. Right. But we think, I just I just wish I was out of here. I'm yeah. not good for anybody else and not helping anybody, I'm a downer, you know, those kinds of things. So when we talk about clinical depression, we're not talking about your your normal run-of-the-mill sad day or two. Yeah. We're talking about this has lasted for a period of time and it's now impacting your work 
It's impacting your parenting. Maybe your kids are now having to fend for themselves, eat cereal. You're not giving them healthy meals. We're talking about you showing up to work, but you've not really showed up there. Or maybe you're showing up late or not being able to deliver. And so now people are talking to you and maybe you're getting written up because you're not delivering. That's what I'm talking about. That right there. Speak on it. Speak on it. Because, okay, wow. Because now I'm feeling like, wait, how many of those can I check off? (laughs) Like if I'm I'm being honest, because I notice, and and, and my friends know this about me, I, I don't eat cereal. But if I buy cereal and that's what I'm eating, something's off. Like I now know that about myself and I have to check myself and be like, and, and, and it may sound like, okay, you're just eating cereal. Yes, I know, but I know who I am. And if my sleep is shifting and I'm eating cereal and I'm not feeling like showing up, there's something going on. And so to whomever is listening, like it's those little things. You, you have to start looking at yourself or or being aware of what's happening to you. And sometimes, you know, it is the right question being asked. And I love those questions that you ask the people who come and see you or who you're evaluating. That it's not just like, oh, are you sad? Oh, have you been crying? But like real tangible things that happen during the day that have changed all right. of a sudden. Right. And, and sometimes when I'm talking to people of color, mm-hmm. I, I I purposefully and intentionally avoid the word depressed yeah. because we don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back on a time after my mother's death, mm-hmm. I was clinically depressed. I was a medical student mm-hmm. and I should have known you might think that I was depressed, but I didn't know. Right. And so I was literally not brushing my teeth. I was not going to class. Mm-hmm. I was not eating. My place was a mess. And I remember the dean of um, of some program, um, you know, called me to his office and he said, you know, hey, I think that you're depressed. And that may be what he said. But what I heard was, you think I'm crazy. Yes. You think I'm da 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 or whatever. And so I didn't hear what he was saying. Mm. And 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 you know and here's the the truth of the matter was I was envisioning myself ending my life every day, multiple times a day, but I did not recognize that I was depressed. And so when he used the word depression, to me, it felt like a slap in the face because Mm -hmm. I was a a, a person of faith. I didn't get depressed. Right now I had every symptom that I just described to you, but I did not recognize it. And I remember him saying, I want you to see a psychiatrist. And I was like, you know, I have to tell you guys, I was raised in, uh, I wasn't raised in a, in a religious home or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but I was raised by what the world would call a strong black woman who believed that black people didn't have the luxury of being depressed. And that was some man-made foolishness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so I, I, my concept, so my conceptualization of what depression was, was for a weak person or something like that. So when we said, I think you need to see a psychiatrist. I, I, I I mean, for me, it was the equivalent of him calling me a crack whore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me get into the other, a crack hoe. Not a, right. Right. Not even a crack whore, a crack hoe. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so he picked up the phone and he called um, a psychiatrist actually got the psychiatrist on the phone, which is a miracle number one. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrist says, I will see her today. Miracle wow. number two. Now, let me just say, I had no intention of going to see that psychiatrist, none whatsoever. He picked up his keys and he drove me to that psychiatrist's office. And Bill Bachnight does not realize that he probably saved my life that day wow. because had he not driven me 
to that office himself. I would have left his office. I wouldn't have gone there. And because I was daily throughout the day thinking of that, I cannot tell you, in spite of the fact that I am a spirit-filled believer who believes in God, Mm -hmm. that I would not have killed myself. I cannot declare that emphatically. I hope that I wouldn't have, but I can't say I wouldn't have. And so I owe my life and my existence to that vessel being used that day Mm -hmm. to say, hey, you are not your normal joyful self. You are not turning in your work on time. I'm hearing that you're not going to class. I think you came to school, came back to school after your mother's death too quickly. Mm. And and I insist that you get help. He insisted that I get help. And so that experience, as troubling as it was for me, I remember this cute little psychiatrist. She was a little white petite lady. Mm -hmm. And I was angry in that office as I looked at her. And I remember her saying to me, if what you're doing right now is working for you, then keep at it. And when she said that, I knew what I was doing was not working for me. Mm. And let me just tell you, I got on an antidepressant. I had to get off of it, Mm -hmm. of that particular one, because I went from being sad all the time to having no feelings. And I am gregarious and outgoing yeah. and, and yeah. all of that. And so it white it neutralized my emotions and that mm-hmm. wasn't the right one for me. Right. And so we, we went through, you know, a couple of trials and uh, and I always wanted to say, you guys think I'm a guinea pig, I'm not doing all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I have to tell you, it was well worth it because I would not have completed medical school hmm. if I had not found that combination. And and it wasn't that I wouldn't have wanted to, but it was that I didn't have the energy or the concentration or the 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 willpower, the wheelhouse to I just didn't have the bandwidth. I couldn't do it. And um and so I needed that. And as a person of faith, you know, my brother told my pastor, she's on that stuff. And that stuff was an antidepressant. Yeah. Um, I, I think and you would have thought that I was getting that peel from uh, a, a dark alley from a crack dealer or something, you know. But <laughs> and, and, I understand. And I, I, you know, but I say that because we, and he, he's come around. But at the time, it, it, it felt really shameful um, to me to to quote need something because I felt weak. But the message that I want to communicate to you all, every listener that, that's hearing me, is I, I'd lost my mother and mm-hmm. I was not having a weak moment. I was having a human experience. If you lose a parent, if you lose a husband, if you fail, have a public failure, if you lose a job, if you are disappointed, you're going to have a human response to that. It's not weak. It's a human response. And as people of color, let me be crystal clear, we're more likely to have have witnessed um, our parents being victimized, Mm -hmm. violence in our communities. We're more likely to have been a victim of domestic violence, have um, been exposed to physical, um, you know, physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse. And how dare we think that we're going to be a robot and not have a human response to such tragic, traumatic stuff that Preach. that no one should live through? Preach. And so that is um, we we we've just been fed a bunch of lies, and I'm giving you permission today 
to be human, Mm. to feel, to be disappointed, and to take off your superwoman and superman cloak and, and feel like that you are invincible. That superwoman of the, that, that myth of the superwoman, the super black woman or whatever is killing us. Mm-hmm. And it's preventing us from getting um, the, the help that we need. Thank you for saying that. Somebody needed to hear that they have permission to take off that cloak. It's not ours. It's not ours. It's not ours to have. We don't have to have that to be of value, to be worthy. We don't need it. That's an entire Not word, Rhonda. Thank you. And it's, it's interesting because we, we plan to talk about something else. And, and I will say to you. Did we though? Because, because divine, divine timing, right? Divine timing. We absolutely did. But this is, this is on point because I can't tell you how many people are rehearsing mm. the words of their parents or their caretakers who told them they weren't going to be anything. They weren't good enough. You know, I mean, I remember vividly as a 13 year old, an aunt, somebody that I actually valued and thought the world of, you know, saying to my face, you know, you're going to be pregnant. I don't think I was 13. You're going to be pregnant by the time you're 13. Why would anyone say that to a child? And so the people sometimes who were charged with loving us, um, I don't know what it is, but they, they break us. Yeah. They say mean things to us. They say hateful things to us. You know, um, well, I'll tell you what it is. I, I, I do. I do think it is. Well, let's call it insecurity, but also somebody had hurt them. That's something yeah. that they learn. And Absolutely. they might think that they're protecting you or maybe they're just, you know, uh, attacking you because they, they are so angry and so hurt that they weren't able to fight back when somebody said or did something to them that broke them. So it's just, it's repeating the cycle. I I remember telling, I remember telling someone, Dr. Valerie Washington, she was on, she was on a previous episode of this where just going to medical school, like when I was an undergrad, the black woman pre-med advisor told me, and maybe she was just looking at my first um, quarter grades from freshman year, which were the worst I'd ever seen in my entire life, but I I quickly made that up, said that you would never become a doctor, right? Mm. And then the neonatologist, this was the funny thing, the neonatologist saying to me during when I was um, interviewing for medical school, saying that I don't have what it takes. Now, these are both Black women. And so I had to ask my, I, one, I didn't believe either one of them because the black woman who was telling me I could do anything was my mother. So I was like, I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. the fact that they thought it was within their best interest or my best interest to be told something about my dream at that time that would yeah. break me is something we need to be more cognizant of as adults. Now that we're adults, what are we saying to our children? Are we listening to them or are we putting our own or projecting our own insecurities and hurts and disappointments that we have not healed from onto them? How can you live a life of joy if you're constantly hurting other people? And you don't always realize it. I mean, I remember growing up. So let me just, you know, I had, I grew up around love. But let me just tell you that my family put the fun in dysfunctional. Okay. So, <laughs> so, 
so I was brought up by people who were definitely my tribe yeah. was your bootleggers, your gamblers, you know, yes. just to give you some backdrop or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and so, so that, that and I was being raised by people who loved me, yeah. but they loved me from a broken place. Yes. And my mother though, um, Education was really important to her mm-hmm. because she hadn't had an opportunity to get an education. And right. so it was never a, are you going to college? I always knew that I was going to college mm-hmm. and she put educational opportunities before me. Yeah. And, and there were great things about her, but you know, she was, uh, she believed in corporal punishment now. Mm-hmm. And let me just be clear. And so I'd always said that I was going, I wasn't going to be like her. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so then Fast forward, and now I'm a parent. Yeah. I'm a parent of a child who behaves exactly <laughs> like I did as a child. And sometimes when I'm really tired or hungry, I hear my mother's words coming out of my wow. mouth. Right. And they are not the, the, they're not what I'm bringing you to you today. Yeah. They are her words. Yeah. And, and the difference is now um, that. When I recognize it, I go back and I apologize. Mm. Um, I mm. definitely go back and I apologize, I and and I and, and 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 I make good on it. And yeah. I, you know, I remember, and my daughter gets it because at three we're driving down the road, and I raise my voice to her, and this three-year-old mm-hmm. beautiful child says to me, "I am not your child. You will talk to me respectfully or not at all." What? And she's three. Yes, she's three. She's three guys. She says that. And so I, I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, baby, I am your mom. You know, you are my daughter. And before I could get out, where did she get that from? I immediately saw, I immediately heard my voice saying very emphatically to one of my loved ones, I am not your child. You will talk to me respectfully or not at all. And I had communicated to her and trained her when I didn't know her, I was training her that Mm. she was to be talked to respectfully. Mm. And she knew that as a three-year-old, that even her mother or whoever was around her was supposed to talk to her respectfully. And I just thought, wow. Now that is my parenting highlight, but I could (laughs) Share with you some parenting lowlights, and she would happily share. She some would parenting happily, lowlights. yes. <laughs> so, but I, I say that moms, we have to show ourselves grace as a result of of this beautiful soul. I've come to understand what um, a struggle it was for my mother to be working two or three jobs, parenting as a single mother, because I have a husband, and it's challenging for me. Yeah. And so now I'm able to show grace. To even my memories of my mother realizing she was doing the best that she could with what she had. Mm-hmm. And I'm also learning to show grace to myself and to my daughter, you know? Yes. And so yes. um, it's, if you are a parent and you know that you were traumatized as a child, it's really a good thing to find yourself some therapy. And I'm going to say culturally congruent therapy. Mm-hmm. There's an organization called, um, oh my gosh, I always forget. Um, therapy for Brown Girls yes. is a um, is a is a, a directory to where you can type in um, your city or your um, zip code, I think, and then you can find a therapist um, that's close in proximity. There's also a directory called Psychology Today, mm-hmm. and you can 
Um, and, and there you can find therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists, and you just have to kind of hit the, the arrow and type in what you want. But then you can put your zip code in, and then they have pictures of the people who yes. are on there. So you can see, um, and they'll have a description. So you can see if, if their description meets what your needs are. You can see if this is a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see if they accept your insurance. Yep. And in this telemedicine age that we're in post-COVID or during COVID, what I will say to you is now you have the luxury uh, many times of doing mental health from the privacy of your home. Mm. You don't have to be in anybody's waiting room or anything like that. Right can do it from the privacy of your home. And so if you've ever been concerned about who might see you in a waiting room, now is not the time to worry about that. Right. Now you can actually get help, right. you know. Right. And I've used those resources to look for for therapists myself. And you will definitely find a slew of people who are available and hopefully accepting your insurance. I think it's really important uh, that we we destigmatize seeking out and obtaining any level of mental health, mental health services. Um, we still have to talk about that because even in this day and age with the, with the circles that we run who know better, there's still so many people out there who, who don't know they need it. And, and I'm really grateful for some of the ways that you explained so that we listening can be like, oh, maybe that's something that we need to, to take care of but also that there are resources out there. Is there anything somebody could do right now if they are are feeling down or may in fact be having, can say yes to any of those questions that you asked earlier, what they might want to do next, what the best next step for them could be? So the best next step is for you to talk to a primary care doc um, if you have one um, and and talk through who they normally refer people in similar situations to. Um, If you have, if you are an employee, you can go through your employee assistance program. They won't bill your insurance or anything like that. If you don't have health insurance, um, know that there are, and it depends on the the place that you are, but you can probably um, Google how to um, go about applying for the um, Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, what have you, so that you can mm-hmm. can get that. But don't, I, I would start with the people who are in my tribe mm-hmm. that I know are healthy, who have, that you know have received help. Now, let me tell you who not to go to. Yeah. Don't start with the people who you hear talking about everybody else that you can tell from just their discussion with you that they're going your business is going to be all over. Yes. But yes. don't start with them. Start with your your healthy uh, people, but you you know, go to HR to find out how to connect with employee assistance program mm-hmm. if you are employed, um, the two directories that I told you about. But the issue that I would say is do it today. Yeah. Do it today. Yeah. The other piece is, you know, perhaps taking a mental health um, work day connecting and, and I tell people laughter does good like a medicine. So yes. about the time that you know that you're you're really, really struggling, stop watching NCIS, CSI. Mm. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not time for you to watch Precious or 
colored <laughs> girls commit suicide or that right. kind of stuff. Or even real you housewives know? of Potomac. Now it's not the time to do that. Maybe you want to turn on some some uh, some Chris Rock or some Martin Lawrence or some Christian comedy, right. you know, something that's going to make you laugh, um, that piece, but then, um, and, and connect to people who bring you joy. Don't answer the calls of the persons who are going to dump on you and you know they're not going to listen to you anyway. Yeah. They've never followed any of your recommendations for the last 20 years. So they're not going to follow it today. Today, but exactly. I, <laughs> so don't answer those calls. But I, I have three or four people that I know when I call, they think I can move mountains. Yeah. And when I call them, I'm going to get off the phone and they will have encouraged and uplifted yes. me. You know, yeah. um, those are the people that I, I may reach out to. You know, I will turn on some music, you know, um, oh, yeah. this is my fight song, Roar, um, Intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have some music that takes me there, that, you know, takes me up or whatever. But you know, so so that's where you start while you're in the midst of it. But definitely, Psychology Today. If you went on right now while we're talking um, and, and typed in, you could have your a slew of people that yeah. you could text and say, "Hey, this is my insurance. This is what I'm going through. Are you accepting new patients?" Exactly. And you could get that ball rolling today. No, today. you're 100. Ah, I'm so grateful for you. You're 100 percent right. And in in terms of my music. Um, Jay-Z's The Black Album, I know, it's kind of crazy, but for whatever reason, that always gets me hype. Like, I think it's because there was a period of time where, like, that was the only album I'd listened to while I was working out. So now my brain instinctively, like, releases endorphins when I start hearing, bum, 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 It's insane, but look, this is how powerful the brain is. Okay. I, I want to say thank you. We have to do our lightning round. I do this with everybody. Um, my first question is, what is joy to you? Ah, uh, Joy is this place where there is no time. Mm. I'm not connected to time. I'm not worried about what I'm going to do next, what I'm going to say next. I'm just in the moment, yes. enjoying my company. Mm. I have some belly laughing going on. I'm enjoying the, the other per- people who are in my presence, and I am my authentic self, my vulnerable self. I'm making fun of myself and letting <laughs> you enjoy my. Listen, when I, I my my dream job is comedian, and and yes, you I don't said believe, it. and I don't believe in retiring. So I introduce comedy in everything I do yes, with did. even my suicide conferences. We brought a comedian on and I integrate comedy into every speech. And the heavier the speech topic is, the more comedy I'm going to introduce into it. Just know that. Look at that. I love it. I love it. I love it. How do you fill your joy well? Uh, Oh, my gosh. I get around around, uh, toddlers. Mm. You know, if you can be around a toddler, you can lose um, yourself and your yeah. foolishness, because 100%. if you ask them questions and not yes, and no questions, but, but just questions, they will, they see the world through a completely different lens. And I love to rediscover the world through their eyes. The world is an amazing place 
through the eyes of a toddler. And so I love being around them and I like to eat. I'm a foodie. Oh, and, I so, hear <laughs> and so my dream place is around some toddlers that I can hand off to their parents after a certain time, filled with root with options for food, healthy and unhealthy. <laughs> and that's how I feel my joy well. Yes, girl. Yes. I'm throw in some comedy. Throw in some comedy. I'm yeah. I'm talking about the that will make you pee on yourself because you're laughing so hard. That's my joy well, okay? Yes, girl, yes. Oh and, and don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you're don't right. take yourself too seriously. Right. Every crazy thing that has happened to me that I have made crazy mistakes for, mm-hmm. I use all of those things in, in, in my talks, in my coaching sessions mm-hmm. um, with other um, ladies who are trying to get unstuck. I use those in my my talks that I do to docs who are too full of themselves or preachers who are just over the top <laughs> and, and whatever, you know. So I and, and I use those to kind of um, to help diffuse whatever. And, and, it, it, and, it, and it just kind of connects you. Humor is much like smiles. It, it connects yeah. you. So, so my joy well includes laughter and children. And food. And food. And food. Let us and not forget food. the food. All right. Favorite book of all time. Oh, yes. So my favorite book is is by Dr. Maya Angelou. Mm. And it is The Caged. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Yes. My, and, and the reason that resonates with me is because the the house that she talks about growing up in in Stamps, Arkansas, is a house that I spent I'm a good deal of my second, first, second, third grade years, I think. Um, I lived in that house and I met her before I read the book. I met her and I didn't know she was a big deal. Uh, It just uh, meeting her meant that I had to have on my Sunday best shoes and I couldn't (laughs) run outside and play. And so I I really was not excited to meet her. I was ready for it to be over with. (laughs) But she was this, oh my gosh, she was this regal statuesque um, black woman Mm. who presented like an oak tree and a queen mm. all together. Of course. And she did what a lot of adults don't do. She didn't talk down to me. She kneeled down and she made eye contact with me and she talked to me. Mm. When I left her presence, I knew that I had been seen. And I also understood yes. that I had been in the presence of greatness, yes. even though I was young, you know? And so when I discovered her book at 13, mm. I remembered not how witty she was or how smart she was or how well-known she was, but I remembered what a good human Mm. that she was and that she was a lover and a respecter of children. You can love children and not respect them. She respected Mm. children and she had my vote. She's been my number one author ever since with a close follow-up by Nikki Giovanni. Yes, girl. Speak on Nikki. Yes, (laughs) 100%. Professor Giovanni. I had the opportunity to um, see her right after that campus shooting at Virginia Tech. Tech. And I didn't realize that she was a professor at at Virginia Tech, Mm. but she brought calm to the collective trauma that we were experiencing during that day. Mm. And I never forgot about that. And I've always respected her. I respected her a lot before that, but she is eternally respected in my book since then. 
she was the first poet that I read who I felt was speaking the way I speak plainly yes. on the page. And so I was like, if she can do this, then so can I. And let me just take this time to plug Dr. Chisera's uh, book on the evolution of Chisera. Oh, my book, The Evolution, evolution of a Saint. Yeah. If you do not have that book of poetry, you are missing out on Aww, something. Amazing. Thank you. And I can't wait to bring out more books for the for my audience because uh, so there's some coming out within the next year or so, and I'm really excited. It bring me back and um, after uh, my book launch, so I can talk to your audience and your listeners about um, my upcoming book that is slated to be released very soon. God heard my cry. Yes. Oh, I love that title. Okay, <laughs> if your life was a movie or were a movie, what would the title be? It would be called The List because I am forever telling God what I want, giving a list of what I want, and then completely amazed when it comes back. I made this incredible, ridiculous list about what I wanted in a husband. I got everything on that list, everything on the list. And, And then I discovered that I wasn't sure if I wanted that exactly. <laughs> Sweetie, you're amazing, but I'm just saying. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's like maybe we could have used a little less of that. Right, right, right. I should have threw in, I should have thrown in, will clean up after himself. That didn't right. make there it is. <laughs> a little less truth telling, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And what is your favorite time of day? My favorite time of day is nighttime. After everyone has gone to sleep, it is my most, it is my creative time. Mm. It's always been, and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, I'm remembering now that that competes for now my morning rituals of Mm. my be still and see the salvation of God rituals that Mm. I do each morning that really are, um, are quiet times for me. So I, I, I'm not quite sure. I think nighttime used to be my favorite time, but now mm-hmm. morning time, um, yeah. see the salvation of God is definitely my favorite. Yes. Morning time is my favorite too. Cause that's when I, mm-hmm. I I've always been a morning person. So 5am is nothing for me, but, um, 5 p.m. is <laughs> like, if my day could start at five and end at two, I'd be good. <laughs> And my at five a.m. Yes, five a.m. Girl, yeah. Okay, I have a different take. If my day could start at eleven a.m. and end, I'm talking about work day, and yes. end by two thirty p.m. Oh yes, for work, one hundred percent with you, one hundred percent with you. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's conversation. Yay! No, I'm really glad. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for trusting me with your audience. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. You've been listening to the Joywell Conversations, a podcast for the Joywell. This episode was written and produced by Chisara Asimova with music by Kevin McLeod. A very special thank you to Dr. Rhonda Maddox. And to all of you listening, remember, love joy, be joy, live joy well.